Hello, friends, and welcome to Backstory. I'm your host, Alex Roberts. Huge thanks to everyone who's come out and supported me on Patreon. I appreciate all of you. If you haven't checked it out yet, Patreon is where I'm posting little design updates, life updates, and very soon, some new and original games that patrons will get to see before anyone else does. It's been a pretty cool project so far, and I'm really excited to take it in some new directions. My guest today, my guest today is sex educator, LARP Bright, and LARP organizer, John Cole. If you're interested in touch, power, politics, and pedagogy, and how all of that comes into role-playing, I think you'll enjoy this chat very much. Let's jump right in. sex educators conference that's right yeah um i'm we can totally get into you know the content that you put out there because i think it's really interesting but i am just so curious about the reaction that you got from people when you were presenting or when you were just talking about presenting about edularp for sex educators yeah locally the sex education people are like oh cool you know good luck uh, I did feel really good about how the session at the National Sex Ed Conference went, though. Um, I had maybe 10 or 15 people in the room, and uh, in the sort of 15 minutes where everyone's filtering into the room, I, I talked to each person individually, you know, hey, I'm John, I'm doing this thing. And then what do you expect to get out of today? And I had an interesting mix of people being like, you know, I really like role play and want to see your method, and a couple people who were brave enough to be like, absolutely hate role play. I fear doing it in the classroom and I want to like let go of some of that. Those are my favorite folks. Uh, and a couple of them by the end of the session were like, I feel way, way better about doing role play in my classroom. So that felt like just a, an absolute win to talk with those people and, you know, catch up with a few afterwards, like hunt people down later in the session and give them specific tips to their situation. What kind of discomforts or resistances were you running into? I think it's probably, this is, it's difficult. This is an exercise in empathy for me because of course I don't feel that way. I'm like so excited to role play with the youth. I think they were like young people won't want to do this or will feel awkward when doing it because I myself, the educator feel awkward, right? Or like feeling like it's not getting good educational outcomes because I do think that it is possible to totally like biff uh, an educational session and like it be not very trauma-informed um, and like lead to bad outcomes uh, and I guess explaining my lingo trauma-informed is a hot word in sex education right now where we want to like talk about important topics things that might be triggering for people who survive sexual assault or any other of the many crummy things that can happen to human beings and so like if you have a role play where people need to practice negotiating abstinence with a partner and someone like plays it hardcore to win and like bullies their partner into agreeing to have sex with them even though they don't want to, right? That can get crappy really fast. And so there needs to be some level of like deft touch in facilitation and how it's introduced and all that jazz. I'm very curious. Um, you know, trauma-informed is obviously a pretty important concept over in the counseling world. Um, and I'm curious mm. about how it how it is 
enacted very practically in a role-playing context? I would say, well, I guess it's, it's of course, like, like trauma-informed approaches to sex education kind of cannot be written down and, like, turned into a curriculum that someone can walk away with. Because at least I think the heart of being trauma-informed is, like, having a, a halfway guess of what experience of trauma might be in the classroom and being ready to, like, modify the activity on the fly so that people can keep participating instead of, like, essentially encountering a wall of things that they can't or won't deal with and have to, like, effectively step out. So some some steps that looks like practically in a role play exercise is like having a variety of roles, some more active, some more like passive who judge and think and sort of report at the end or like there's a group of people and they make a decision together and no one of them necessarily has to stand up and be like, here's what we the jury have decided. Um, and all the other standards like classroom trauma-informed things like someone can step out of the activity they participate at their own comfort level for example in like a lot of role-play activities have people working in small groups and there's almost always someone who for trauma or for no reason is like i really don't want to do this and i'm like okay cool flip over this thing on the back and write a script of what these characters would say and you'll still get your full participation points but it's my job to encourage you. I think it'll be easier and more fun to do this role play, but you get to decide how much you're participating and just like walk away and let them, let them choose. Okay. I love this. I love the alternatives because I think the, you know, the way that, that you and I LARP has a very clear, like, you know, the door is always open. You don't have to be here. If you don't want to be here, you can peace out at any time. I think that's an important rule, but I think in an educational context, it's like this this still needs to work like you still need to hit your objectives and you you can't just like leave people out in the cold just because they're not able to interact you know in the way that you had hoped or planned yeah it's got to be done i think even more thoughtfully and carefully than in the role playing context that you and i know because like you know i've got a, a institutional and soft power like more so than just someone who's like the friendly facilitator like I can get them in real actual trouble because I'm in schools with like literal grave, maybe even lethal consequences. If I'm, if I'm like on the edge of my freak out right now, thinking about how hard it is to be an ethical teacher in a world where when I say everyone needs to respect each other in this classroom, like by default, that's like, hello, I'm a white man in this classroom of mostly people of color. Usually respect means do exactly what I say rather than like treat people with the dignity that they have inherently or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then like, yeah, there's like, there's an age differential and the power that goes along with that. That's, yeah, that's a lot to take on. Makes me wish they sent me, say they sent me to teacher school. Instead, like most sex educators, I just picked up the job on the job and do my best intuitively and with the observations I have. But like, I haven't got that big youth brain development lecture that all, the, all my friends who are teachers have gotten. That's, you know, that's interesting. That is a really strange thing about sex ed where it's i would say pretty important um and yet it's either like teachers who have teacher training who are woefully underinformed um about sexuality or it's sex educators who are you know sex nerds and super into it and super like up on everything but have not necessarily the most like pedagogical background yeah i do feel pretty good about the program i'm in right now our organization uh, has a grant where we go into classrooms and we are supported by classroom teachers. So we sort of 
deliver content related to sex ed and the classroom teacher is still in the room helping us do classroom management things because they have the relationship and the pedagogy to like do it more effectively than me. That sounds really handy. I like that. I like that alliance. That's good. I mean, how, how are teachers, how are high school teachers responding when you come in with your like edularp approach? Um, well, I got, I'm working with middle and high school teachers here in Minneapolis and, um, they're loving it, honestly, as far as I can tell, because they can step back from delivering content for a little while and get prepped on other things and like not have to deliver something that they might not be as like keen on or skilled with. Like there's a, a couple educators I've worked with who are uh, social studies teachers for middle schoolers by trade. And like, you know, they are great at politics. They know all that stuff. But sex ed is like not anywhere near what they've been trained on. They're not health teachers. So they're very glad to have some support. And then, like, specifically, um, because as a LARP, I, of course, LARP all the time. So my teacher persona is, like, extremely energetic. I have to, like, tone it down a little bit for the middle schoolers because they can, like, fly off the handle if there's too much energy. But, like, it's sometimes difficult to get a pulse from high school students. So I, like, turn it up to 11 and I'm, like, so pumped up about sex uh, and, like, having that conversation. Because, like, someone in their life needs to be thrilled about puberty and how good it is for them. Um and so both teachers have definitely re responded really positively when I'm getting the young people up and LARPing in the classroom to, you know, learn about HIV transmission rates or practice empathy around HIV or practice condom negotiation or whatever the lesson of the day is. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds, I, I can see why that would be really positive. I can see why people would be like, oh, oh, good. Some, someone's got this because <laughs> I super don't. Um. Yeah, I, you know what, this is making me think though about LARP rights as teachers. Like I think I was looking through uh, your most recent LARP that, that came out at Festival, The Abortionists. And I feel like maybe I should have been compelled by like, you know, the content, the, the, the politics, the, uh, you know, the, the raw beating heart of something like that, that is set in the seventies, but is so relevant to what's happening right now. But I was just really interested in the LARP design. Like I was just I think it's because I'm working on that text right now. And I was like, oh, this is so well laid out right now. I just, I love the order of information. Oh, thank you. <laughs> when when you're thinking about putting together a LARP into a product that someone else is going to have to deliver, right? When you're not there with other people, you know, modifying on the fly and doing all that really fun facilitator stuff. what What's the order of operations to you? What is the like, okay, here, you know, do you have, do you have a checklist of things that need to go into your LARP script? I don't think I have a checklist of things to go specifically into a LARP script, um, both as a teacher and a LARP and a facilitator, I'm really like prep oriented. So I make checklists literally for myself. Um, like here's the list of stuff you need to have on hand before the LARP begins. And one thing I appreciate about how, what writing LARPs for Fostaball is like, is it comes with a really firm package of constraints. They're like we're going to print out your document on A4 paper, one-sided, black and white, and hand it to your facilitator, unstapled, and like, go. Um, so so every, every element of how we laid it out or put it in order was considering that. And so I guess, I'm sorry, I don't have a slick answer for you, Alex. I, uh, I basically am like, what would I, John, need to run this game in a way where I feel really supported? And if I'm not sure what to do, I can always be like, ah, oh, yes, that's what I need to do at this moment. That's how I put things in order. Like, for example, in The Abortionists, every single scene has um, 
a little statement you give to the players right before they start each scene that's like, the purpose of this scene is to uh, reveal and uh, describe the character's politics with a special focus on the character of Judy. Um, and that is both to remind the players what they need to hit in the scene and also give the facilitator something to cut on to end the scene in a timely manner. And if they're watching the scene and there's compelling stuff happening, and they can say, wait, have, have we revealed all that stuff about Judy? If so, we can cut the scene and move on. That's just building support for myself, literally, almost at every step. Do you really like that GMing style and, and the LARP style that favors it, of like a very active, engaged, kind of directorial GM? I think so, yeah. Uh, at least at, at this time. One of my like minor goals, both in design and writing, is to like chill out a little bit and give the text a little more room to breathe because not everyone is so like twisted up in getting things just right as me and so like removing layers of description that i john desperately need with the deft hand of a jason morningstar game that like allows people to ride in with the assumptions that they already have about larp culture um one saves a heck of a lot of time when it's time to write stuff for people and two helps LARPers or experienced facilitators' eyes not glaze over with boredom as they, like, read what a role-playing game is text again. <laughs> people got people got some really strong opinions about, like, here's what a role-playing game is. Some people really don't like that to be present, and I, I don't know. I'm always thinking about the first-time LARPer and the first-time facilitator, and, like, I don't know, maybe I imagine that my games are just going to be, like, unearthed. A thousand years from now, people will be like, what is this? Oh, good. There's a section at the beginning <laughs> that tells me. I definitely understand and respect doing that. Uh, me and Kevin McIntyre wrote Games Within Games. Uh, our intention was to write it as a thing to be accessible to first-time LARPers. But the actual writing of all that stuff that we thought people needed to know, excavating all of our like implicit assumptions and forcing them onto the page, was a mildly excruciating process. So I hope just on a practical level to skip that because of like the level of work of work it puts on me. But like people who do that, God bless them. Like keep it up. <laughs> that that needs to be there. The written record. Um, Games within games was really fun. That's a, speaking of directorial style. Like that's an interesting one because there's almost like more direction than acting going on like everyone well i mean first of all for my listeners please describe games within games games within games is a dramatic spy larp that use it's set in the cold war uh not in the james bond cold war the george smiley screwed down gritty cold war and it has the novel technique of two players portray one character one character m Excuse me, one player embodies the character, and the other player is their, their grim spy inner monologue muttering things darkly about the past while they're trying to have a normal conversation. Um, and it's about, you know, spy things and betrayal, and it has a, one of several endings that can occur as people, you know, discover who is the mole, which of the player characters is it, if any. It's fun. I really like, I really like spy stuff. Like, I... It's just, it's so high stakes. It's so, it's so LARPable, right? Because everything is just... You know, you can you can hint at things in a really dramatic way, like you know, in in Panama. This, you can you can just imply that things have happened because spies are always doing that, and always raising their eyebrows at each other in this sort of like, you know, and you're like, is is this sexual tension or is it just the, you know, this cat and mouse? What's going on? I remember being just so enthralled. I think it was like you and Stephanie Noodleman as like this middle aged cigarette dragging spy 
who just I really believed in in that moment how grim she was both internally and externally. That's right. That was me and Stephanie. And we had, uh, shit, it was Laura Simpson and John Stavropoulos on, as the other character. Man, and and then you were directing. What a what a cast. What a, that's <laughs> really, that was tight. I was really pleased to see it played there. That was a great time. Definitely. What? Uh, how? How was the abortionist received at Festival? I know people were pretty enthused about it uh, when we were playing at Trivial Can. Uh, people seemed pretty interested after it had been played. It's it's certainly a game that people people seem to know for sure whether or not they want to play it. I will say that. <laughs> I, from my experience in organizing Just Little Love in USA 2017. I find that if there's a game about an intense, potentially difficult subject matter, people either know right away whether they're in or out based on the subject matter, or there's an exception if they know and trust some member of the organizing team personally. Um, so my experience has been that either people are like, yeah, that sounds awesome, or like they chit-chat about, about it with me for five minutes, and then they like, yeah, I'm guessing here, I don't know for sure, but I think they privately evaluate is John bullshit or what? And can I like be okay being in a room about this thing and understand that we could stop if we need to? And I feel like having a personal relationship with someone makes them more likely to play a game that's like, hey, come play my 70s abortion LARP. It's <laughs> a good pitch. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I actually don't know a ton about Festival. Like I, I, I know people who've gone, but I haven't gone myself. But my understanding is that your script kind of just gets handed off to people, though. What, how how does that how does that feel? Um. Good. I mean, anxiety producing. Um, first of all, is a extremely DIY affair from start to finish, uh, which is part of what makes it so inexpensive. Uh, so the the scenario bosses are like, okay, John, uh, looks like people are signing up for seven runs of your game. Uh, do you have seven game masters? And I'm like, oh, um, and run about exploiting my personal network, tr trying to see why I can uh, straight, strong arm into running this game for me. So I, I did just hand off the scripts to people who I convinced to do this for me. And so I was able to have, have their emails or talk to them, give them a little pep talk right before we started. So it wasn't um, like truly sending it out into the void and seeing what comes back or anything. Um, oh, and I'm going to make my strong first of all plug Next year, in 2020, the Nordic LARP Conference is one weekend before Fostival. So someone could go to Finland, experience the power and wonder of the Nordic LARP Conference, learn all about player skill, and then the very next weekend be in Denmark for an incredibly cheap, super good LARP Conference in Hobro, Denmark. Um, I'm definitely saving my PTO already. I should go. I should be there. Because I haven't been to either of those things. And I think i would enjoy them probably a lot and you only have to cross the atlantic once which is honestly the expensive part usually yes yeah it very much is which we could have a whole conversation about that about the amount of money that people are willing to put into larp but only directed towards airlines we i can't even i can't even start with that sass coming out here i feel like you're gonna have to go off recording alex to dish the real heat <laughs> take this out cut this out <laughs> 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 uh, so did you did you get good feedback though at, at festival i got wonderful feedback from players people were of course wrote really nice things in their player uh, feedback documents and i got to bring those back to the united states and read those over with kelly my co-author because she couldn't come to festival so wanted to bring home some part of it to share with her 
but like people said really thoughtful, critical things. There's a couple of like scenes where I was like, you know what, Finnish person, you're right. I'm gonna have to like think about that one. Um, I'll say overall that people's sort of reactions to the game were more um, intellectual than emotional than I would have expected. Um, but like they were like traveling into space to play these characters. They're like, okay, a character from the US. Hmm. And like, oh, a character from the 70s? Oh, and then like a character who's like a black woman and a radical feminist. Like they were like astral projecting their bodies so far that they were probably not going to like be touched in the heart, if that makes sense. So people were sort of like, hmm, a very interesting experience. So, you know, some some of the wonderful things I played with were like, it was a very uh, emotional experience. And they said with like a firm, deadpan frown on their face. Um, and I have to take them about the word because Finns are typically taciturn. <laughs> with absolute stone-faced. <laughs> it's true, yeah, There's a, there's an honesty. So it's like... You don't need to emote to convince me that you're being honest. I was so afraid to talk to the Fostival judges as well, like intimidated by them. But then I realized that they've been poring over my game and talking and thinking about it as a group for many days. And so literally there's no one better to talk about my game with besides like me and my co-author. Like no one cares more than the Fostival judges about your game, which is pretty wonderful actually. Yeah, that is pretty special. And that was that was fruitful. Do you... Did, did, are, I mean, where where is this game going to end up now? Like, are you going to sort of spend the the revision time on it, get it out there somehow? I think so. I mean, I can't, like, make a firm, absolute promise. Talking and thinking with some folks, publishers get at me. If you're just, like, thrilled to publish a feminist history LARP about abortion in the United States. But I, th I think Kelly and I are going to look it over and incorporate, at minimum, the good feedback we got at Fostival and decide if we want to go through the effort of doing a full layout and art polish if we want to uh, throw some more money at our wonderful sensitivity consultant, Julia Ellingbow, to like do a final pour through of the documents and make it ship shape. Man, revising sucks. How do you, how do you get through revising? Uh, hmm. I don't have a ton of experience revising. I'll take a moment to think if I have any hot tips. I think all the things I would say would be well served by a productivity podcast that's like, use Trello. Um, have revision partners with someone who's detail-oriented and cares about that kind of things if you personally don't, right? If you can't be your own, like, detail-oriented schedule master, you can team up with someone who is really good at that. That's both a pretty strong suit for Kelly and I, so that's something that we're comfortable doing. She's got a really uh, sharp editing eye and is a professional schedule wrangler, so her and I are like, well, just merge Google calendars and choose optimal times to get together and have regular design meetings and drink tea. <laughs> Oh, that's good, man. Collaboration, though, right? Love it. You, you. I think you're you're a very frequent collaborator. You're often working with someone else. Do you, do you get excited about working with specific people, or is it just like, well, this isn't going to get done unless I have like an accountability person? So let's let's go. Hmm. <laughs> Uncomfortably called out by that. Um, <laughs> I definitely want to like weaponize my anxiety about making people feel good about me in order to like hit deadlines. That is a known quantity for myself and like want to have somebody to turn my homework into basically. <laughs> so that they'll then give you, you know, even if it's an emotional gold star sticker, you still, you know, you get it. Mm hmm. That's a very good, as a former, like, 
way too keen kind of like student, you know, where so much of your like ego is bound up in, in that kind of approval. I, I hadn't thought about uh, employing that in a positive way in my adult life. <laughs> I, uh, I know someone who gives herself like star stickers, you know, um, for working out. She put up like a schedule. Shiny star stickers. Yeah. It's the classic <laughs> teacher, teacher style. And I'm like, man, what a, what a life hack. You know, it's like, I can be my own teacher. I can approve, approve of my own actions. Oh, oh nice. I'm going to use my prefrontal cortex to uh, say that the rest of my brain is good. <laughs> oh, man, is that LARPing? <laughs> <laughs> hmm. I, who can say? Who can say? Maybe you, the counselor, can. Maybe, yeah. No, I don't know. Give me, give me a few years. I just thought of this. Let's make a LARP... That is one player, but that has multiple characters. Interesting. I don't know if that exists. Does that exist? Not to my knowledge. I think that would be really challenging. Like, I think a lot of one-player LARPs, or, you know, one-player role-playing games, rely on you being really, like, playing really close to home, too. Like, when I think mm -hmm. about, um, mm -hmm. have you played Alexandra Santowska's The Beast? Yes, I played it uh, for a few days until I felt bad and chose to stop. Okay, you know what? I think that's a perfectly valid playthrough. I went with what I thought the intent was, which was to play close to home, and then I like thought deeply about why I'm keeping some sort of monster I use for sex locked in my basement, and I was like, whoa, this is pretty uncomfortable, and not a thing I want to uh, take time to imagine myself doing. <laughs> Mine was in a shoebox. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Your sex monster. Got it. Um... It's a great game. Truly, truly amazing game. Yeah, definitely definitely affecting. I, it was too rich for my blood, but I'm glad that people get a lot out of it. <laughs> yeah, but like when the, the cake is a little too chocolatey, I get it. I'm, I'm, I'm there. I get it. Listeners, go back and listen to my interview with, uh, with Santosco. She's brilliant. But I, I think my, my point is like, I think a lot of one player games really rely on you being able to really immerse yourself in the character by being like really close to yourself. Because, uh, man, I think keeping, like, multiple characters sustained would be really difficult and, like, possibly unhealthy. I think, just practically speaking, if we're imagining this theoretical LARP, you'd have to really ritualize how people get in and out of specific characters in order to give them their own sort of, like, bellwethers, things that someone can always return to. Like, the classic LARP trick is, like, decide something about your character's way they care themselves or like their physical tick about tucking hair behind their ear or wiping their nose so you can always come back to that to be like ah oh, yes i'm this character right now whatever the version of that is to help people like key into that character would be useful yeah definitely when it, when it comes to those kinds of embodied things do, do you find yourself like as a facilitator bringing that in because i feel like a lot of us know that kind of stuff but i, I have trouble sometimes either bringing it in myself as a player that kind of embodiment or or helping players bring it in when I'm facilitating. I definitely appreciate it when facilitators bring it in. It sort of reminds me the player, oh yeah, I can engage this like bonus LARP skill. I also, I, I sometimes hold myself back worrying that I'm like using too much or the wrong type of pl LARP player skill in any given LARP. Um, just like a super concrete example of that, I was like, in a LARP, I think last month, where like my character had a secret and I was like, 
excuse me, facilitator, what do I do with this secret? Because I can think of like three or four different culturally specific ways you use secrets in LARP, and I need to know what the unspoken expectation for what I do with the secret is. Do I immediately blab it? Do I save it to the last third of the game? Do I not actually tell anyone? You, you really want to do it right. I really want to do it right. I really have anxiety. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I really have the old anxiety. I think... I think you might struggle with pop. This is interesting stuff I'm I'm learning about you. <laughs> Cuz pop my my game about uh, people who love and have sex with balloons is really really leans on the fact that I I'm really open to whatever people want to do with with like the kind of tools that I give them. Um so people are going to come up with you, to you and be like am I doing this right? Uh, you're, you're just going to have to say like, yeah, sure, because I, I don't know. As long as it says in the facilitator guide, there's a lot of different ways people can take it and all of it is okay, then that's what I need as a facilitator. Oh, nice, nice, nice. You need the, as long as it's a concrete statement that it is not concrete, then you're good. You're good to go. Right. As opposed to if I'm like shadow boxing about what Alex secretly means from her like position in like Canadian LARP scenes, but also like large and larger North American LARP scene. Like what is she secretly all about, but didn't bother to write down. Right, right. Oh, there's so much of that. I'm like not against that, though. I mean, I don't know. How do you feel about LARP as like an oral tradition to the extent that it is? So, like, in 2013, Alexa Hyde brought the uh, Marcus Montella and Jakos Tendros' Nordic LARP book uh, back with her from her, uh, a layover in Sweden. And I, like, read one page a day while eating my breakfast. And I was like, this Nordic LARP stuff seems super cool, and I want to know how it works. So I did some research online, and I eventually came to the point of, like, I just, there's a there's an oral tradition wall that I cannot surmount. I'm going to have to start, like, running LARP events to the best of my ability in the Twin Cities with my friends to like teach ourselves what it is that they're doing like via telephone over the internet based on like photographs and snippets I can discover like eventually I'm gonna have to like literally fly to Europe to see what it is that they actually do so like my like built up rage of John five years ago is like why don't people write things down and I'm like cooling down a little bit more about that now, having had the privilege and experience of like going over there and see what people do and had the, the experience of trying to write that stuff down and finding it really difficult. So yeah, I guess I just have a personal story of like, I'm all twisted up in my feelings about having to just like fly for hours to discover what really happens because in some ways there are some things that have not been transmitted or maybe literally cannot be transmitted outside of the in-person requirements of our hobby. Yeah, that's because that's really the question, like, of whether or not it is possible. Because if it is possible, it's like, hey, come on, do it. But it might not be. You you have now brought up LARP House, though, which I really want to talk about that because I hear from lots of people who want to start LARPing or they had, you know, one good LARP experience, but they don't know anyone in their town who does it. And my understanding is that your experience of that was just like, well, what? let's just start a thing where we do that. Yep, that's literally it. I'm like, if I want to be able to play these games, it seems so cool. I need to run these games until my friends are tricked into believing that LARP is fun and then they will run LARPs for me. This is like my literal like five-year plan for myself in 2013. Well, let's let's talk about that because like speaking of like oral traditions and not writing stuff down, like I think a lot of people would love to replicate that model, you know, and have success with it. 
I mean, what are some things you either would or wouldn't do again? Like I'm, I'm tempted to be like, what were the huge mess ups? Uh, but we, we don't have to go there. I appreciate your dignity and grace here. Cause definitely there was like a lot of stress associated with like bootstrapping a organization out of the ground from nothing. Did you have a consistent physical space? We did not. For the first event or two, uh, Alexa Hyde, me and the person who started uh, LARP House with me, had a um, spooky old house that they illegally rented one room of, and the rest of the house was furnished, but they couldn't use it for reasons that were unclear to me. And so when their landlord was not around, we couldn't run LARP events out of the LARP house, which is uh, now no longer in anyone's possession, as far as I'm aware. I always wondered what LARP house was. Um, so it's always been just like in people's basements. It was a house in the St. Paul East Side. Hope no, no, land, no landlords listen to this. Nobody narc. Uh, St. Paul's East Side illegally rented in cash to Alexa Hyde, who would let us use parts of the house when the landlord wasn't around. And there was one room where we found a ponytail that had been cut off someone's head and nailed to the wall. A whole ponytail uh, tied up at both ends. And then that was part of what led us to no longer want to use the LARP house. <laughs> wow. That's, if I was a witch and I wanted people out of my spooky house, that's probably exactly what I would do. So anyway, successes, important ingredients for success. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think there's a lot of valid ways to do it. Um, I'm thinking here of like LARP Shack out of North Carolina. They have like, like LARP House smacks of an organization started by a bunch of people who were already in a social group recently out of college and decided to like formalize an organization. And we're like, we will make decisions at our general committee meetings with formal consensus. And like, we'll have rotating facilitatorship. And like, you can break the formal consensus blocks by uh, appealing to the, the statements of unity, which we've scripted here. Like it was very like radical and writing stuff down and thoughtful. Whereas like, some other models, uh, I'm thinking of like LARP Shack or, oh goodness, I'm trying to remember um, Ross Chung's California-based um, LARP organization. That seems to be very much more. There's a couple of people in charge and they kind of make decisions and nobody sweats it too hard. Uh, and that seems to be working totally fine for them in a way that we've like erected this bureaucracy to help defend the future of LARP House and in some ways have been like, oh gosh, this would work great if we had like 30 active members, but we have more like 15. Do you try to expand it or are you like, I kind of want to just LARP with my friends. I'm good. I would love to expand it. Uh, I, I feel like I'm slowly learning that I, John, no longer how to know how to pitch LARPs to people who aren't like so nestled in their like twisted LARP proclivities as me. <laughs> I'm like, y'all come play this balloon fetish LARP. That was Robert's wrote. It's going to be kick ass. And people are like, what? People are like, let's not. <laughs> the current director of LARP House, Larry Lade, is like, come play this LARP about internet culture and like new friendships and like, and it, it, is, it has some sexual content. Um, and like, that's a better pitch for normal people. But I'm like, y'all come play this abortion LARP. It's going to be so good. <laughs> yeah, there is like a... I don't know. Sometimes, do you ever worry that we're like kind of chasing the dragon a little bit? You know, people just want like a more and more intense or more and more bizarre, like role-playing experience. And then you just become like completely out of touch with the real world or, you know, the, the mundane world. I, I think I'm not so worried about that. Or like, maybe that's just because I'm chasing the dragon to Europe and I'm like, dry hop me, you Nordic LARPers. Um, I feel like that's practically a gag in our, in our local scene of like the people who are like, 
care care enough and privileged enough to go to Europe and like get dry humped by the Danes um, and like come back and talk about excitedly about it. And other people are like I think I think I might not want to go to Europe even if they didn't dry hump me. Yeah, it would still not still not draw me in. <laughs> but that's good. Like in an, I think any organization needs like the core of incredibly dedicated people. And then you need that like semi-permeable layer of people who can like interface with the outside world. The mucous membrane of the LARP community. Yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Made of phospholipids. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh, I think I think we're we're talking different biology jokes. Or or is the phospholipid bilayer in cells a mucous membrane? I'm coming from like HIV prevention world where like we talk all about mucous membranes that let things in and out of the body. Oh yeah, sorry. Yeah, no, I'm I'm yeah, you're like, you're a little more macro than I am. I'm, I'm super micro Alex. right now. Sorry for mixing our metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm zoomed in. I'm very zoomed in. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit more about uh, dry humping, uh, which is a really classy name uh, for role, you know, role playing uh, techniques, meta techniques um, that simulate actions that they are not. I saw something on your gaming CV called uh, Ars Mate and Ars Tegumi. Which I've only heard of Arzamandi, um, which is the the well known hand and arm touching technique to simulate uh, sex scenes in LARPs. Please tell me more about Ars Marte and Ars Tegumi. I am no longer an expert on Ars Marte, but what I recall from back in the day is that Elliot Weislander, as well as some other uh, groovy Nordics, created a technique for simulating like physical conflict, like a wrestling match. Um, in a way where you could play it freely, like honestly try to win if you wanted, or like step back and sort of negotiate a story outcome in a way that would feel like a physical wrestling match while still being safe. So it involved this sort of like crawl method. I'm waving my my hands, you can't see them. There's some, if you Google Ars Marte, M-A-R-T-E, you can like see some videos um, and learn how to do it. And if I recall, it was developed for a LARP about like blood sport gladiators and they're like surrounding groups of people who would like support them and fluff them and get them ready for battle um so it had the juicy elements appealing to nordic larpers both like devastatingly sad and coercive practices uh simulated and also like you know grim violence and ours tagumi is a technique in progress created by annie Pugh. and it uses a karate technique or karate um drill I believe called Tagumi, and it's sort of a martial arts version of Ars Marte, where you you can play it, and it it feels like you're sort of having a flowing, responsive, watching each other sort of martial arts duel. And I think it can work either for like a wuxia style, where like you talk about your feelings and you fight, or more screwed down like martial arts revenge film style. Uh, and that's a technique that's in progress that Annie Pugh first came up with, and I've uh, added a little bit to it with Ashley Laporta and Chris Larrabee. Um, and so I guess if anybody has got like a great big wuxia store of knowledge and story inside them and wants to like write a totally cool wuxia LARP that has a great martial arts technique, hit me up. That is very exciting. As someone who loves, I, like I love, you know, the old Hong Kong action flicks, and I love Wuxia. I like the really over-the-top, super dramatic, color-coordinated, you know, historical stuff. Yeah, I would love to LARP that. That would be so satisfying. 
I neglected to actually say anything about what the technique itself is physically like. I can do that if that's of interest. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know what? Do that. Okay. <laughs> Let's hear that. Um, John describes in words something better seen in video images of which there are none. Okay. So people lay their hands uh, back to back against each other, um, wrist to wrist. And then they slowly move their hands together, connected at the wrist. One person is leading, one person is following. And then if you keep doing that and changing who leads and who follows, you can get to a state where no one is leading nor following. And you sort of are connected and stalking around one another, sort of in a circle, either clockwise or counterclockwise. And you're looking to bait your opponent to like move their hand to one side, leaving their chest open, where you can like thrust your other hand and like you use your fingertips to sort of tap them in the sternum lightly. Um, and the still developing part of the technique is how to train people to do this safely in a non-bruising your fingers sort of way um, and, and figure out the closes that feel good, like you've defeated this opponent. Um, safety feels important because there was a famous French Wuxia LARP um, that had some images online for a while where their like wuxia fighting technique was you would like attach a ribbon like a, a piece of long crepe paper to your wrists and then you would like whatever wuxia sort of wave at one another trying to chop the paper on someone else's wrist and I think within the first few hours of the warp someone like badly sprained one of their fingers so uh, wanting to avoid that <laughs> I, I, you know, I like when conversations about LARP safety uh, focus on like physical safety because it's very easy to forget about that kind of stuff and either like either avoid very physical play, which I think is fine, but it's like, you know, we're, we're out here, we're, we're moving our bodies around, you know, it'd be fun to really kind of explore and push that a bit without getting our heads knocked around and stuff. Given my extremely limited understanding of how brains work, I'm pretty sure that the sort of sensation and feeling parts of our brain are too dumb to distinguish pretend touch from real touch, if that makes sense. Like, your prefrontal cortex is like you're playing a character, but some deeper part of your brain is like, I've been hugged and I'm safe or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I hadn't thought about that, but uh, I think you're right. I think we are kind of like digging in a little bit to something that can't really distinguish like an imaginary thing from a real thing. And that's very cool and very exciting, but also like, hmm, watch out for that one. Yeah, that gets more to the player support and consent part of what is <laughs> yes. traditionally referred to as safety when you just so wisely pointed like avoiding fires and deaths is the actual <laughs> safety part of safety. And that's like a Johanna Kolyonen point from back in the day, which I appreciate her for distinguishing at least the first person to distinguish it. Yes, me. yeah, she, on, on this very podcast, she was like, she was like, you know, sometimes you're out in the woods and you have to not get eaten by a bear. That's safety. <laughs> <laughs> She's so cool. She's a real, she's a rock star. Um, you, you know, you were at Festival. You're, you, you know, you're working on this really cool thing. What, what are things that you're like looking forward to in the future? What are some like, oh yeah, this is coming up and I'm stoked. Hmm. Events in the future, which I will take part in or like cool shit I'm going to release or do or like the first thing that comes to your mind as like oh man I'm so stoked for this okay thank you I'm pretty stoked I have a graphic design meeting this week with Harold Ekmuller to look at the card briefs he's doing for Real Talk this 
deeper conversation workshop that I made with Maria Jung back in like 2017. Um, and he is, Harold is laying it out professionally on cards and making this good design into something that looks like you want to pick it up because previously it was all scribbled things printed out awkwardly. <laughs> I have engaged with Real Talk and facilitated it, actually. I really, I really liked it. And it's, um, it's, it's a version of something I don't like that I like. Th things that really like, I think the concept of something that like really rapidly accelerates intimacy uh can be either really cool or really bad and this is something that that's that this is like kind of designed to do right um i mean tell tell me tell my listeners a little bit about the structure of the game yeah uh it is it is as simple as five decks of cards with questions as prompting on them and it is as complex as a five minute workshop when getting those cards set up that invite people to be vulnerable, to offer skills about how, how to listen and share deeply, and a little bit of structure to sort of mix up groups of people and keep the conversation going, like permission giving about leaving groups or conversations that aren't working for you right now, to actively struggle for really excellent conversation for just one hour. So it is both simple and complex at the same time, but every time I run it, people are like, OMG, thank you for running this. I had a great conversation, and that's amazingly rewarding to hear it's um it's very well suited to like when people are kind of first getting to know each other because you actually get to know each other not just like talk about nothing um and be polite but it also it's just it's so easy to opt out of at every step of the way that's what i really like about like it's easy to you know to look over at that corner of the room and be like oh that's the that's the uh, sex topic uh i don't think about that right now i'll go over to the oh this other corner of the room is death. I could talk about death all day. Let's do it. And even like as questions come up, like it's so it's so easy to just be like, I'm going to set this one up. Off I go. I'm going to go wander the room or go sit with someone else. I, I imagine that there was a lot of like iteration going through that and figuring out, okay, you know, what is the difference between saying you can leave any conversation at any time and actually giving people the tools to do that? I don't have any thing on, on that point particularly of offering people the right to pass it's now in the guidelines it wasn't originally uh realized that it was an important one i guess it makes me feel really good to hear that you've appreciated the opting out elements of it because i was i was initially thinking that only the context separates um separates real talk from something more intense and like love bomby from um but no actually you don't have to participate. You choose how to participate. And in that way, people feel empowered to hunt for the conversation they really want as opposed to, like, feel like they're arriving in some sort of uncomfortable HR workshop where everyone needs to, like, get deep in front of your boss. <laughs> get deep. <laughs> yeah. Um, what, are, what are some contexts in which you've run this? Have you just run it for LARPers? Basically, yeah. I've run it at gaming conventions. Um Maureen and I wrote it because we like workshops and we like parties and we wanted to catapult ourselves past the type of conversations we always have with people we really enjoy at cons um, where it feels like there's not enough time to get to that place where it's whatever, three in the morning and people are real talking because uh, I got to go to bed and have things to do. I got games to run in the morning. So let's get there at like 4 p.m. and not, not wait till midnight. That's okay. Now this is actually, you hit on the way to pitch it. Like... As someone who is now, is is almost 30, my time for like being up at 3 a.m. and having those really, really like cool conversations 
rapidly coming to a close. And like, I still want to have those conversations, but like, God, I need to sleep. Like I actually, you know, you, you pay the price at a certain point, you know, for, for staying up all night, you get sick and stuff. So yeah, you just, you, you need to, you need to pitch the time travel aspect. It's like you just journey to 3 a.m., but at any time of the day. Yeah, I'm going to put that right in my pitch for sure at, at American Gaming Conventions. <laughs> time travel. Oh, yeah, actually, have you have you run it? Well, I guess you have run it internationally because you run it in Guatemala, right? Yep, and uh, we ran it the first time at Fostival and have run it every year since. Interesting, because I feel like that is such an interesting like cross-cultural test to see people's like levels of comfort with it. But really, if you're running it in North America, that you're already like at the highest difficulty level, right? In terms of like people's reticence to talk about important things. I think so. I think there's a lot more sort of cultural frankness uh, in the Nordic countries, in my experience. That's interesting. I hope you get to run it in lots of different, different um, cultural contexts and also just like different spaces, you know? Like what does that look like at an educators conference rather than a LARP conference or, uh, or, you know, in a workplace or like, I don't know, do people still do family reunions? I, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll cop to this. This won't help me. This won't help me like sell copies of real talk when it comes out, but I sort of hope that people don't run it at work or if they do, they run it in a really like optional voluntary way, just because one of the things that makes it work well at con environments is a mix of known people and strangers and also a lack of power dynamics that are official. If somebody has the absolute unilateral ability to fire someone, it's going to be it's too hard for the workshop to help someone open up and be truly vulnerable in a way that's rewarding because it literally might not reward them. Yeah, it may actually, they may be punished in a, in a very tangible and like material way. In conclusion, capitalism's bad. Capitalism's bad. You could put that. You put put that on one of the cards. P.S. Time travel, capitalism's bad. Everything you need right here in the box. <laughs> that that about sums it up. Back of the box. I'm uh, I'm excited that it's coming out. I'm I'm excited that it's going to be in people's hands. And I think that, uh, yeah, I think just as a deck of cards with a bunch of like really intense prompts is one thing. But I I really hope that people are able to present and structure. Uh, it in the way that um, that you have and, and that you um, envision for it, because I, I think that is actually really cool. Like, honestly, if just if nothing but for the practice of like, I'm very excited about this conversation, I am 0% excited for that conversation, <laughs> and then making that distinction. Mm. Yeah, well, working on the uh, the workshop rules right now, very much inspired by for the Queen Alex of how having people read things out loud, and also hope that people can like practice skills to take with them out of the workshop. And in, in, as you so aptly described, to be like, what if I acted a little more like real talk in a regular conversation with friends I care about and listened not to reply, but to treat them as experts in their own lives? What if I left conversations that were in, weren't interesting to me or draining for me and hunted out ones that were really enriching? Yeah, listening skills. Listening skills, man. Let's make more stuff that really enhances that because that is so hard. It's so, so, so hard. There's so many different kinds of listening and people are, of course, socialized with many different t 
listening styles and I don't know, I, I guess here I'm just coming from another anxious perspective here, but people want different kinds of listening and they deserve different kinds of listening. Okay. Tell me more. What are some kinds of listening that you, that you have either desired or seen the desire of? Well, like sort of like fellow commiseration listening or like um, sort of a, a simple or simpler like reflective listening or, or like advice listening. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm, I'm probably just like stomping all over words that counseling has been really thoughtful about describing, but things as simple as like, friend, I'm hearing you say that you're having a really hard day. Are you looking for a fix or a feel about that is a technique I learned from some dear friends of mine and, and not as good at employing as I would want to be. But like, do you want to fix your feel? It's like, I can hold space and hear how you're feeling. And then only if you want to kind of be like, here's a great tip for the workforce that I learned on Reddit. Oh yeah, definitely. Thank you for actively working on that because that's a, that's a classic one. That's a like, I have, sometimes people, because I don't think like offering suggestions is, is inherently a bad thing, but, uh, but it is a different kind of listening. I think you're right that something happens before you even offer that where you've heard some portion of what they're saying and you're already looking for the solutions, which means you are no longer engaged with what they are continuing to talk about, right? So that really reduces the likelihood that your cool, awesome, useful thing that's been helpful for you is even going to be helpful for the other person. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And along many other axes of uh, groups of people who think they know what's best for other groups of people. Hey, what's up? Yeah, that's cool. There's a, there's another LARP we can make is uh, ones ones where you are doing different kinds of listening. Those are different moves that you have. I uh, I don't do a lot of collaboration. I feel like you are the more collaborator. So I'm I'm trying to think about collaboration and how that like is cool and satisfying for people. I love it. Um, I'm a very oh I forget what it's called the there's like a workplace inventory of your various skills and one of my higher ones is the person who wants good information to use as grist for everything else. And so having a collaborator is like, yes, I will harness your brain towards this project in a really useful way. Like I was excited to work with Kevin on Games Within Games after actually, we actually randomly collaborated together. Well, we were in the same group uh, when we played LARP Jam when Arnold Cassell ran it at, I think, Fort Midwest 2015. And we were in the same group. And so we just worked together a little bit, coming up with cool LARP ideas, literally just made up the idea for Games Within Games. And so knowing that we could work together a little bit then I got to know deeper what his skills were. And like, he's really good at like attaching narratives to archetypical stories and using that to map the rest of the narrative, which is the thing I simply can't do or don't have experience with. So like, then it was like, yes, we'll like marry my like weird body sharing technique for this LARP to this archetypical narrative you've gotten. Boom, we got a LARP. Yeah, you're right. That's like a winning combination. Like it's very, it's novel and fun and interesting for LARPers. And then it also has this very, um, I feel like that's a very story gamey thing, right? That that breaking down in uh, of a narrative into elements and then finding the variations on each of those elements. So you kind of have this like, I don't want to say algorithm, but like this form, I don't know, formula, but in a good way, <laughs> you know, like, oh, it's formulaic, but in a good way. Yeah, nothing wrong. Nothing wrong with a formula. A good formula. <laughs> Oh man, I can't believe we haven't even talked about LARP Jam. LARP Jam is such a gift. I'm very excited to to run it for folks. I, it's really interesting to me that 
that like people really do like just straight up make LARPs out of LARP Jam because, all right, again, I feel like this is the third or fourth time that I have gotten excited about something and then backpedaled to say, hey, John, you should tell my audience what LARP Jam is. LARP Jam is a two or three hour workshop where people working in small groups make LARPs for the first time. It has a round ramid format, so people start writing a LARP and then hand it to the next group to finish writing the LARP. And they also have extremely tight constraints, which paradoxically unlocks people's creativity to write really amazing LARPs, even though they have to like write it using a rule they were given randomly out of a bag and like a machine-generated piece of poetry. And real LARPs you may have played came out of LARP Jam, including the award-winning Still Life, uh, my own LARP Games Than Games, and uh, those are the those are the two that I'm aware of. But I hope there's more. I think there's quite a few. Like I, I definitely hear people talk about it, and I think. LARP writing is very mysterious to a lot of folks. Like there's, it it can can seem hard to figure out like, okay, where do you actually start or um, what do you actually do? But then once you actually make one, it's like, oh, you just, you just write stuff down. (laughs) It's really not, it's, it's really not that hard if you want to keep it simple. And so I think the idea of just giving people um, this like almost reality show ish um, set of, of random constraints and ingredients um, it's really handy for people. Yeah, it's like Chopped, except you're the Chopped contestant and you're writing a LARP. Gamifying it is one of the best way, at least for me, to like get over my credit block and just like spit something out onto the page and maybe be excited about it later. Yeah, or not be excited about it and have the realization that that's fine too. Like you can make a game that is not that great and be like, okay, and move on. I'm done with it, yeah. Yeah. Make bad games. It's so satisfying. It's so it's such a relief. I wanna I wanna improve my skills at making bad games and letting them letting them go. Carefully plant them in my hard drive for never later, as opposed to maybe someday. <laughs> do you ever do you ever unearth a real bad old game? This happened to me recently. Has it happened to you? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> So far, no, I have not unearthed the battled game, other than to just look at it, just to look at it and see its 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 disgusting bones and put it back where it belongs. <laughs> what have I wrought? Unearth this terrible, this terrible thing. <laughs> oh, okay. John Cole, it's been extremely good having you on the program. Uh, if my if my listeners want to keep up with you and uh, the stuff that you're doing, where is the best place for them to do that? The best places to get a hold of me are, well, uh, RIP Google+. I guess I can be found on Facebook. People can absolutely just send me an email at bndrks at gmail.com. Um, my web store is, uh, what is the URL? It is johncole.itch.io. Or even have a mailing list um, that maybe I will send an email from at bit.ly slash larper. Cool. Well, thank you so much. It's been totally awesome. It has been very good, Alex. Thank you for digging deep. <laughs> I do. I do like to get in there. It's good stuff.
Well, thanks again to John for joining me. And as always, thank you for listening. If you have thoughts on today's show, you can always email me. That's backstorypodcast at gmail.com. Feel free to tweet at me at Backstorycast. Backstory is part of the One Shot Podcast Network. It's hosted by me, Alex Roberts, and produced by the talented Alex Sisk. You can go to oneshotpodcast.com to find more great shows like Modifier. Modifier is an interview show hosted by Megan Dornbrock, all about why and how people change games. From the hobbyist to the professional, from house rules to publication, we all have in mind a better way to play. What's yours? Megan is an awesome interviewer. I had the delight of being on her show not too long ago uh, when I was working on Starcross, and she really, really knows what she's doing. You gotta check that show out. Music for Backstory is provided by Ujiko. The track is called Thinking of You, and you can hear more by searching U-J-I-C-O on SoundCloud, probably Bandcamp, definitely Spotify, and wherever else you get your chill beats. Talk to you later, friends. Thank you.